we, we look and we see uh, the Lord's Prayer. When we talk about the Lord's Prayer, people think, oh, that's Matthew 6, 9 through 13. That's what we normally think when we say the Lord's Prayer. And we say we're going to pray the prayer that Jesus says. That's the one we normally think of. And we think and we often repeat it, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. All across all denomination, Christian denominations, that prayer is given. Because they think that's the prayer of Jesus. Jesus prayed that prayer, and that happened. Well, that is the prayer that Jesus used to teach his disciples. They said, well, teach us to pray, and that's what he showed them. And we're thinking, and, our, and scholars are thinking, probably Jesus didn't really intend that we would memorize it and repeat it like that, but there's nothing wrong with that. That's absolutely fine. So that kind of thing. But this morning, I would like to set that aside just a minute and teach you about a different Lord's Prayer. And if you would, would you turn to John chapter 16, John chapter 16, with me, I'd like for you to look at something. Now, I'm going to pick up the story, and we're going to follow this through because it leads into this prayer that Jesus is going to give. As we, as we follow this together, as we look at it, um, this is a few days before Jesus is going to be arrested. And so he's trying to prepare his disciples what this is going to be about. And he's trying to tell them that their joy, that their being with him is going to turn into great sorrow, and then it'll turn back into joy. Again, he's trying to prepare them for the crucifixion and for his resurrection. And it seems like it's in a deep fog with him. So as he gets down to the end, we're going to pick the story up in John chapter 16. Would you find verse 25? We're going to skip right down to verse 25 and from there on. Though I have, Jesus is speaking, though I have been speaking figuratively. Stop right there. How was he speaking figuratively? Well, he often spoke in parables, did he not? If you're familiar with the parables of Jesus, in which there are quite a few that he used in the scriptures, those parables he used to help us, to help illustrate. And he also spoke about the kingdom of heaven as like. We often find that. So he said, I have been speaking to you figuratively. A time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, Jesus said, you will ask in my name. And I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you. The Father himself loves you because you have loved me, Jesus is saying, and have believed that I have come from God. So because you have loved me and because you think I have come from God, the Father then recognizes your love for me, and so the Father loves you. Well, he loved you long before you were ever born. So he's sharing with them, the Father loves you. I love you. The Spirit loves you. I came, Jesus said, from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world. I'm going to go back to my Father. Then Jesus said to his disciples, now. Um, excuse me. Then the Jesus' disciples said, now you are speaking clearly and without the figurative speech. They were happy about that. Now we can see that you know all things and that we do not even need to have someone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Finally, we see this, you see. And Jesus turns and says, do you now believe? After all this time, do you now believe? 
Well, they're going, oh, of course, yes, 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 yes. But then he adds in verse 32, a time is coming, and in fact, to come when you will be scattered, each of you to your own home, and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. They, he knew that they would run like chickens. They would be scattered. They knew they were going to be afraid because they thought they'll be next and be taken. I told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, Jesus said. But take heart. I have overcome the world. So that ends chapter 16, if you're following right along. That's the very end of chapter 16. Now watch as this goes flow. John just takes us right on into this prayer. And so the Jesus prayer follows in chapter 17. Are you there? Found that? Chapter 17, John 17. Now this prayer is divided into three parts. First he prays for himself. Then he prays for his disciples. And then he prays for all believers. Let's look at the first part. After Jesus said this, he looked toward the heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may be glorify you. Now, the hour has come. Remember Jesus had said so many times, if you followed through the gospel, Jesus would say, my time has not yet come. My time has not died. No, that time is not right. Now he's very near to the cross. And now in his prayer, he says in front of the disciples, he says, my hour has come. Now has come the moment that things are going to change. Things are going to happen. For you have granted me, verse 2, authority over all the people that he might give eternal life to all those who have been given to him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you have given me to do, going to the cross. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Amazing, Jesus praying for himself. We see that written there. And then the next verses 6 through 12, uh, 19, we see the prayer for his disciples. But this morning... I would like for us to skip down to the part that deals with the prayer for all believers. If you would turn to that, that's going to be looking down at verse 20 and following. Verse 20 and following. If you find that in John 17, verse 20, here's Jesus' prayer. Now he's praying for you and he's praying for me. All believers since the disciples, this is his prayer. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who have believed in me through their message. And the reality is, the reality is that we have received the pictures of Jesus through the working of his preaching of the disciples, through their teaching, and through their writing of the New Testament, and all of the prophets. That went before. So we have received that. We have seen that come to us. It's been handed to us. None of us sitting in this room ever walked with the disciples. Nor did we walk with Jesus. We weren't there. But we understand about walking with him because of what they preached, what they taught, and what they wrote. 
And so there becomes a sacred responsibility passed on to pastors and teachers of the word that we teach his word. You see, it's important that we teach what the scriptures are saying and not try to invent something on our own. Well, that was drilled into me at, uh, at college and then uh, seminary and in my doctorate. When you're going to preach, you need to preach what the scriptures say. All right. Okay. That's what you hired me to do. You didn't hire me to come by and say, oh, yeah, just, just give us some good thoughts of what you've been thinking. No, you didn't do that. The assumption is, by this congregation was, when we want you to speak, we want you to preach to us the word of God. We want to see the scriptures and the meaning of the scriptures. That's what we want you to open up. You said you've done a lot of training, you've done a lot of reading, you've done a lot of, gone to a lot of school. So share with us what the scriptures say we want to know that so we can see it in the Word of God. Is that not right? So that's what the design was to preach, verse 21. Jesus goes on, that all of them may know we be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them, uh, I have... I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. Really? We are one, huh? <laughs> Sorry for the skepticism. <laughs> that we may be one. Just like Jesus is with the Father. Let me be one. Well, in case you didn't know, there are over 200 denominations, Protestant denominations, in the United States alone. Over 200 of them. This is astounding to, to the Islamic world, to the Muslims. They, how come you have so many denominations? They have two. How many you have? 200 plus in the United States alone. <laughs> And each one of them says, we have the truth. Every one of them. You don't find a church going, well, we don't have as much as the one down the street. They have more than we do. But we just like to meet. You know, they, they don't have that. They like to say, we are the ones, we're the most faithful to the scripture. That's the backbone of Protestantism. But how can you have people reading from the same book? And ending up in different places. You see, how can so be there so many different brands of Christian faith, particularly of Protestantism? <laughs> well, I'm a Baptist. Well, are you a Southern Baptist? Uh, you know, what kind are you? A Baptist? Uh, Premillennial? Postmillennial? Are you a pre-trib or post-trib? Uh, do you believe in the. Hold on, hold on. And if I find one little deviation from my belief, then, then you're the heretic. See? <laughs> Isn't that it? Aren't we all reading from the same Bible? Yeah? Yep, yep, yep. Okay. How come? The reason that there are so many denominations... The reason that we have so many say, well, I have the truth, you don't. 
is because it's how we interpret the book, how we understand the book. It's called hermeneutics, which means how is the scripture explained? How do we explain the scripture? So, understanding that, how you reach that conclusion, how did you get to that conclusion, comes you have to understand how we explain that, how was the Bible itself revealed, and how was it inspired? How did that take place? How did that happen? Well, fortunately, fortunately, starting Coming up, we're going to have a class on understanding revelation and inspiration. Isn't that marvelous? It just happens to come up this time. So we're having that starting on September the 11th. September 11th on Wednesday night, 7 p.m. It's going to go all fall. We're going to go through all the details of that. You are welcome to come. It's free of charge. Just bring your Bible. We'll have a great discussion. Okay. So it is an interesting and fascinating discussion, but it helps you understand how in the world there are so many different groups. Because it all comes back to how do you understand the book? How do you interpret it? How do you know about its inspiration? Are there things in it? And historically, the Christian church and the Protestant church has struggled with that understanding. Okay, back to John 17. We're going to leave that alone. We're going to say that, yes, we'll see you on September the 11th at 7 p.m. But back to John 17. Verse 21. Now verse 22. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. We're back to that thought. That they may be one as we are in the Father and the Son may be one. Now, we believe in, and all Christians believe, in the diversity of spiritual gifts. And we are grateful for that, the diversity of spiritual gifts within the church. And we're grateful for the diversity of people. Because the diversity of people bring many different things to the church and its ministry. So, when I look at my congregation and see, I see these are people who have come into our church, who are coming here, who are bringing the gifts that God wanted the church to have here. Sometimes they say, oh, I wish we could do this. I wish we could do that. If we, somebody would do that. God will give us that person if that's the ministry he wants to have. But sitting in our church are people who have the gifts, the diverse, the spiritual gifts, or whatever gift that God has given to them to bring to the church to advance the church, okay? So, diversity. But in reality, when he's speaking about this text, he's talking about there'll be unity in spirit, unity in objectives, and unity in beliefs. Some of the beliefs we need to look at on September 11th at 7 p.m. So, the spirit... Having the spirit, not talking about the Holy Spirit, but the spirit of fellowship together, the spirit of objectives together. We're all heading for the same thing, trying to get the same thing accomplished. And the beliefs, we hang all our beliefs together. In, he goes on, I and them and the, you and me, so that they may be brought into complete unity. Complete unity. Well, uh, I don't know, most of you are way, way, way too young for this, but 
Uh, I remember the assassination of John F. Kennedy and that Lyndon Baines Johnson, Lyndon Baines Johnson, um, was vice president and became president of the United States by default, by, by the assassination. Some of you may remember that event. I remember exactly where I was and what class I was sitting in the whole thing when this took place, when he was a senator. I remember the news came around when Kennedy was shot. Well, during that time, we were just getting into the Vietnam War. And that war drug on and on and on. And it became the very painful and exacerbating experience of President Johnson that he had to handle the issues of the Vietnam War. And as it escalated, it got more and more and more and more and more involved. And then there were the riots and the protests that happened against the Vietnam War. I remember those very well. I've actually been to a uh, protest march and seen them firsthand when there were be um, thousands of young people out walking down the street protesting the Vietnam War. It was an amazing experience to see that. But he was trying to deal with that, trying to deal with the protests, trying to deal with all that garbage that was going on. Well, we've come later to realize, as, as the history of it has been understanding of what happened during the Johnson administration, was that we often had what was called groupthink that happened within the cabinet, within his war room. And that was that everybody wanted to agree with what Lyndon Johnson wanted to do. He was the president, he wanted to do that, so they all became yes men. Oh yes, very good, very good. Without offering things, and so it became a group thing that everybody agreed with the leader. And then, and then everything went with that. And when he made a disastrous decision, they all echoed it. Yeah, we go along, along, along. Are you familiar with the concept of group think? It's very careful. We don't practice that at our board. At our board here, we practice, everybody gets an opportunity to speak their mind as you can see. So everyone gets that opinion. They get to be able to express it with their. But the Bible, and she's just talking, that they may be one. That they may be one. <laughs> All right. So how is it? What is it that makes the believers one? Jesus prayed for that. He prayed that we would be one. What is it that makes that? That makes the believers one? That they are all can be in unity. What makes it? Jesus said, verse 23, I in them and you in me. So that they may be brought into complete unity. The unifying factor among Christians, regardless of their denominational affiliation, the unifying factor is, is Jesus in them. If they accepted Christ in them. And if they have Christ, it changes how they relate to one another. Because they see one another as Christian brothers and sisters. Even across denominational lines. You see? 
I've met some marvelous Christian men and women, pastors of other churches, other denominations, that I know that Jesus resides in them. I know he does. And we can be one of unity working side by side because we love Christ. So that comes back to Jesus. He did the will of the Father. How did he do that? How did he know the will of the Father? Well, the Bible shares with us that Jesus got up early and spent lots of time in prayer with him, in communion. And in prayer, we let God speak to us, and we invite God to come into our lives. We invite the Father. We thank the Father for loving us and caring for us, and wanting, but we invite him to come into us. We invite Christ to come into our hearts that we may reflect him to others. You see, he was seeking the will of the Father. That's what Jesus was doing. I and them, verse 23, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought into complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and that you love them even as you have loved me. The world will know. <laughs> All right, we're going to jump back hundreds and hundreds of years. There was a governor, uh, Pliny governor in Bithynia, which is now Turkey. And he was observing, and he was writing, and he was sending a letter back to the emperor and his observations about the Christians. He was seeing this sect, the Christian group. And so he wrote this back, and he said, Behold these Christians, how they love one another. Christ inside you then helps you to love one another. <laughs> Christ inside you. Jesus glues, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory and the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know, and, and they know that you have sent me. And they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them, and will continue to make you known, in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. Look at that. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me, for Christ, for Jesus, may be in them, that I may myself may be in them. Opening the light love of Christ for us, the great love of Christ. Who can truly know the depth of Jesus' love for you. Who can truly know the depth? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. While we were yet sinners. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend.
You are my friends, Jesus said, if you do whatsoever I command you. No greater love. The love that the Father, the Son, has for you, the Spirit, willing to give up his life, his life for you, because you are so precious in his sight. You are so precious. You are so precious that it's willing to go to the cross to save you when you could care less. How is that possible? Only God can love you and me like that. Dear Father, I thank you for this prayer that you gave. Aha. Uh -huh. That you prayed for us. Us sitting here, right here in, in this room. And for all believers around the world. You prayed that we could be one. And to be one was not that we would be without our differences of opinion and not with our difference of look, but that we are one because we have you and a love for you in our hearts. That you walk with us and that we see each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. It's hard for us, Lord, to sometimes become so parochial. Sometimes, sometimes we start focusing on differences rather than the Lord who saved us. I thank you, Father, for that lesson today. Maybe one we can carry in our hearts because of your great love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.